live from the table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous Comedy Cellar, coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Dog. And on the Laugh Button Podcast Network, how you doing? This is Dan Natterman here with Periel Ashenbrand, our producer, also known Gorman, owner of the world-famous Comedy Cellar. And once again, I would... Uh, I want to uh, emphasize that we are back. The Comedy Cellar, seven nights a week shows at the Olive Tree Cafe, at the original Comedy Cellar, the Village Underground, and the Fat Black Pussycat Lounge. It is on, and soon, hopefully, Noam, I believe the date that I heard being bandied about was March, or was rather, rather May 19th for full capacity. Yeah, but, you know, I, I don't believe it because the governor said it one time, and now you can't get any guidance on it. It is, as usual... Uh, in, in this state, you know, everything is ass backwards and I, I'm going to predict that it's not going to happen. And what's today's day? Today is the uh, 12th. You think by the, the 12th, we would probably uh, uh, get some uh, regulations or something like how do we check for whether people are vaccinated or not, what we can accept, what we can't accept. Um, you know, he just says whatever he says. Who knows? Uh, I would also like to uh, talk about... Um, Al Franken, Al Franken, former senator from Minnesota, uh, Saturday Night Live alum, was here doing stand-up. I don't know if he's a stand-up per se, but he was doing stand-up here at the Olive, or rather at the Comedy Cellar. Um, well, I saw him on uh, Saturday night. I believe. Yeah, what'd you think? I very much enjoyed it. He went. Look, I will say this: um, he wasn't a killer. Like I don't, I don't. He, you know, it wasn't like you know when when Greer goes on or Godfrey, and they're at their and they're having you know at their bed, just a level, the explosive level of, or even he wasn't even getting the laughs Lewis Katz was before it. But but that's but Lewis I'm, Katz was great, huh? He was Lewis Katz was yeah, he did a, he did a good job. He, he was killing it. But um, you know, Al didn't get that kind of laughter. But I don't necessarily think that's how you judge the quality of a comic. I thought he was doing it. Interesting stuff. It's certainly something different. No, I, I, th I thought he was great. I mean, yeah, well, he wasn't going for big laughs like that. He was doing, but he, I mean, he was doing impressions of, of uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy from Iowa, Chuck Grassley. And, um, you know, he was telling jokes. I mean, just to see a former U.S. senator, he's talking about how everybody hates Ted Cruz and what an asshole he is and what a liar he is. Uh, but doing it in a funny way. This this was I thought it was one of the most. Uh, it was very interesting. I yeah I enjoyed. Yeah, it. I, I thought it was a highlight of Comedy Cellar history to see this guy on stage. I'm wondering, wow. did, did you get did you get any um, emails because because the audience is not howling with laughter as they might say for example if Greer Barnes were on or somebody else. You know I always wonder are they appreciating it, are they appreciating it as I am on another level? I can't tell because I'm not hearing the laugh. So I, I don't know if you got emails or any feedback. Yeah, we, we got a lot of positive email. People people loved it. Um, I I thought it was it was great. I I got to speak to him a little bit uh, afterwards about politics. Well, I want to address that, Noam, because uh, and I'm not ambushing you because I mentioned this in the email that I sent. But I I know that you've often uh, made a point of pride to say that you don't bother celebrities when they come to the comedy club. I couldn't help but notice you going over to Al Franken and engaging him for quite some time in conversation. So how do you square that? Is that a contradiction? And if so, how do you explain it? No, I just, I just went over to, he was sitting by himself in the room and I, I went over to make sure he was being, that he was happy and being taken care of. And then he began to talk to me. So I, you know, so the conversation just grew, but I, I was, I didn't go there to engage him about politics. It just, he kind of opened the door to it. 
he was asking me questions. I don't know. I feel like because um, we just made him alone. I feel like political guests are um, kind of a different bag because you know that's sort of Noam's thing. Like that's well, but the point is, is if 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 Noam says that you shouldn't bother celebrities, I, I don't think I was bothering him. I I know it was it was it was the flip side. I was worried that nobody was looking after him, making sure he had a drink, making sure he was taken care of. He was all by himself sitting in, in the uh, lounge in the Pussycat. He'd never even been to the place before. I I wasn't. I didn't know if the waitresses were, um, looking after him. I that's that's the reason I went. But uh, you know, I I, I and, and I think she's right. I think look, political people like to talk. You know, it's different. Well, I mean, the thing that's sort of unbelievable is that they actually love talking to him. Who, to Franken? No, to you. Oh, yeah. Well, we, I don't want to betray the stuff he said to me um, in the conversation, but, but I'll tell you this, that um, what I took away from it, something I've known, but, is that partisanship uh, uh, um, controls everything. Like, you know, he was, he was very reasonable. But I know very well that, uh, reasonable in my opinion, but if he was a U.S. senator now, he would have to toe the party line even on the things that he doesn't believe are reasonable. So but that's, that's not, that's all of them, you know, left and right. Is he working on a one-person show or something, or he's just doing this for, uh, for shits and giggles? No, he would just ask me where he could find hookers and stuff like that. I don't know. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> I don't. Is he, for, why is he doing stand-up now? I don't think he's done stand-up in the past. I didn't ask him any any of those questions. I, I don't know. I, I just Noam doesn't care about Noam doesn't care. Noam care about he he doesn't give a shit. No, I didn't I didn't want to pry. I I I did I did I, I can't tell you on the air. I did say one thing to him that I thought maybe was over the line and then I, mean, I apologize for saying it, but but he's actually he uh he, he he seemed to be happy with it, so what did you say? Well he doesn't want to reveal Well, he doesn't have to reveal what Franken said, he can say what he said. No, no, no! I can't. I'll, t I'll tell you guys later. But I, I, I can't. But, uh, but he, he was a good guy. A good well, guy. I also want to just briefly. Do you uh, want to talk about why we skipped last week's episode? Well, do you think that'd be engaging? I do. Who skipped last week's episode? We did. Why did we skip last week's episode? Because we, 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 I don't remember why. Because he told me that I should cancel it. Right. After, after I got a babysitter. Oh, it was that's not what happened. It was on the talking points from last week. You, we canceled last week because we didn't have a guest or something. What happened? I have no recollection. Else? You had a meeting. Remember? No, I honestly don't remember. Because Jessica couldn't do it. Right, no, no. yeah, Jessica, Jessica. She couldn't do it. Or she could do it. She couldn't do it via Zoom. But you had a meeting now. You had a meeting at 8 o'clock, remember? I waved at oh, you. Yeah. Yeah, because right, we, we have our we have our podcast at seven and eight was too late. I couldn't do it at eight. I had I I had other engage this is engaging to people. So we had a podcast together for seven. The guest canceled, couldn't do it till eight. I'm like, well, I can't do it at eight. I think you guys should either do it without me or cancel. So they decided to cancel. This no, the guest didn't fascinating radio people are hearing right here. She didn't cancel. She couldn't do it on Zoom. That's not what I'm talking about. Hurry up, get to what you're trying to say now. The, the, the I don't know if you want to bring it up. I, I actually have no recollection of this. I think Kevin Brennan on, on the Thanks. phone. Oh, because I had a meeting with Kevin Brennan. Yeah. What, 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 what? Ben, ben, I'm 
trying to be discreet, and because I'm not sure if you want to bring it up. And Dan well, goes, she's typing Kevin. Well, why Brennan. are you typing it to me if you're if you don't know whether no, you should have typed Noam in the chat if you <laughs> want to be discreet. Listen, I think I think we should have a whole podcast today where we where we kind of just hint at stuff we can't talk about. <laughs> I, I, I think I think it'd be like what, Kevin Brennan. What do they call that sexual thing? Edging, you know, where you. <laughs> You never actually have an orgasm, you just edge. I think we should just edge the audience for an hour and never, never give them any release on any, on any story. <laughs> the Kevin Brennan stuff is on Twitter. So if you want to address that, go ahead. If not, then, then, then yeah, you're not. Nice. I don't want to get into a pissing match with Kevin Brennan. Uh, it, was Mother, it was Mother's Day. I got, I got uh, a, um, I, I should play it, right? I got a uh, Gilbert Gottfried cameo. Uh, uh, I paid Gilbert Gottfried to do a cameo for my wishing Juanita a happy Mother's Day. That was great, and he and he told her not to overseas the steak. Cameo is a really fun thing, so you can you can get real celebrities to to well, do. Well, I don't think you can get you can get B list celebrities. I don't think anybody no nobody at the A list would because it's cameo is a little bit. Let's face it, it's not dignified. I mean, not to say that I wouldn't do it because I, I'm not even a B list, but or a C list. But if I were <laughs> were, were I an A list, well, I mean, Brad Pitt is not doing cameo. It's not dignified. You right, but it's, it's something kind of fun about the B-list celebrities. Yeah, they can be because fun. they were famous. There's, there's a nostalgia thing about them. They're they're they were used. Well, some were look. Gilbert was never A-list, um, but some Ooh. were A-list. I guess, and they've moved down. Some are on their way up, but nobody at the top is going to do cameo. Gilbert's totally A-list. Of course, he's not A-list, and we love him. I'm not saying that as Gilbert got to be disparaging. Like an icon. He's not, but he's not A-list. We say that with love. We say that with affection. Um, you should play it. It's hysterical. Uh, I, can, I can play it. Hold on. A-list doesn't necessarily mean better. It's just, you know, uh, what it is. But, um, well, if you want to play it, play it. Otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll play it. So go ahead. So, so, so what, uh, what else? You brought this up. So it's Mother's Day, right? And, um, you know, Juanita is basically my sister now. Um, and so Noam calls me and he says, what okay, hold on. Wait, hold no, 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 listen. Wait, hold on, hold on, let me share it. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share it. So this is, let me share, uh, my God, there's so many things popping up. You know, there should really just be like a- is, is Periel authorized to bring up unplanned topics? <laughs> there should be a do not disturb mode for your computer. Like, no, you're saying with you and Juanita. Well, he brought up Mother's Day. This was related to Mother's Day. I was not bringing up an unauthorized topic. Well, he was bringing up the cameo specifically. Are you going to play this, Noam? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to. So this is Gilbert. Can you see him? Yeah, yes. we got him. How much did you pay for this? <laughs> I think like, uh, I don't know, 50 bucks on my 60 bucks. I don't know. Yeah, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is to Juanita Dwarman, and it's being sent by Gnome Dwarman. <laughs> and uh, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Juanita. And uh, also, uh, 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 no, I'm, I know I'm mispronouncing it. Now, here's a funny thing. So, so he, has no, he has no idea who I am, right? Even though Periel supposedly told his wife for that uh, about it, but I don't think she got the message to him in time. And you can see he's wearing these ridiculous glasses. And in the glasses, you can see the reflection of the TV screen that where he's reading exactly what he has to say. But uh, he's, he's putting his all into it. So go ahead. Uh, he says that you never 
lose your temper. <laughs> you never at all lose your temper, and that makes me angry. <laughs> People who don't lose their temper make me very... I'm sorry, I lost my temper. <laughs> and uh, now, uh, and also, you are the best mom to Mila and uh, Manny and Benny. And uh, you have permission. You have permission. Uh, he says permission, by the way. He doesn't say permission. He says permission. Anita, uh, to make any changes to the house that you want. I got a huge laugh in my house. Go ahead. And also, also, more importantly than anything else, stop over-seasoning the steak. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Did, did, did he, the part where he That's says- That's fantastic. I assume the part where he says that makes me angry. You didn't write that for him, obviously he- No, I just wrote the facts. I just wrote that, uh, whatever the facts were. Don't, she oversees his estate. You can tell her she has permission to, to change the house and um, that she never loses her temper, which is obviously sarcastic because my wife is always fucking angry. She's angry at me just an hour. It's, it's like, I, I don't know how much I can take of this. She's always angry at me. Has, you ever, has Gilbert ever met you? Yeah, many times. Because he really didn't seem to know who the hell you were. Well, he, did, he obviously didn't recognize the name. You know, he has, a, he has one of those things where he's not good with faces either. But, I mean, I've sat along with Gilbert uh, uh, at least three times, talked about stuff with him. His wife told me, uh, Dara, who's been on the show, I won't give you round figures. She gave me round figures. I won't give you round figures. But uh, Gilbert does very, very well with Cameo, which I well, guess he's, makes sense. He's, he's got great at it. I mean, who like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of other things I can get him to do. It's just... <laughs> The way he talks, it just, who can be better? He's perfect for that. I would like to request authorization to um, bring up this topic. What's the topic? So he calls me on Mother's Day and he Noam asks does. me, Noam does, what kind of wine does Juanita like? And so I said, she loves Lambrusco. And he goes, what? What, what is that? And I was like, it's Juanita's favorite kind of wine. And he goes, I'm not getting her that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why, why are fascinating, you- Fascinating, Perry Oak. No, no, go it's ahead. fascinating. I go, why are you calling me and asking me a question and I'm giving you like the most specific answer and then you're like furious at me. And you know what he said? No, what I said. He says, I can't help myself. Oh, this is great. This is great radio. Um, now, is it Lambrusco, like, uh, like almost like uh, Boone's Farm apple wine or something? I mean, if you get like a, first of all, it is fucking interesting because it does it come in a jug with a screw top? Into your insane personality, and no, it's not. If you buy a cheap garbage one, then yeah, but you can get really good Lambrusco. Okay, well, I ended up getting her all kinds of wine, and we didn't drink any of it. Um, uh, can I also know and bring up? Uh, that for music lovers and fans of Gnome and his band, music at the Olive Tree Cafe is back. Now they used to do it on Friday nights, but now on Monday nights, here Gnome, here Colin Smith, here Nick Casarini, and Raj Mason and other special guests doing music here at the Olive Tree Cafe. And I was, uh, I was there and you guys are, by the way, have not lost a step during the pandemic. Were you rehearsing? No, we were not rehearsing. We're just that good, Dan. Well, um, once you get to a certain level at guitar, can you lose it? Or does it, once you get there, it stays? 
No, you, you can't actually, I found it very interesting. Like those guys have been playing through the pandemic. I, I barely played, but I found it interesting that just by, um, because I've been giving my son Manny regular guitar lessons that I kind of kept in shape. I didn't feel like I'd, I'd gone without, I mean, I'd only played one real time in the entire time since last March. That was the day that Nick and Colin came over to my house over the summer. I've literally not played, haven't recorded nothing. But uh, I was playing all right. Well, Raj Masson, Mason or Masson? I'm thinking of Palm. Uh, it's Rajay. No. Raj Mason said to me, because, you know, I've been practicing guitar, and I, I showed Noam a, a video of me working through Here Comes the Sun. But Pretty uh, good. Thank you. Um, but Raj told me, he said, Dan, I saw your video. You know, if you, 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 know, you got to use Noam. Noam's a friend of yours. I mean, you've got access to one of the best guitarists in the country, uh, he said to me. Now, I don't know what he was drinking. Or is there any truth to that? Or he's out of his mind? That I'm one of the best guitars in the country? No, that's not, that's not true. Uh, it, it's, I, it's true that, um, you know, music is not like that. Like, you know, nobody's going to hire me to be a virtuoso soloist or anything like that. But what I, what I can do, I, I would say, I, after being in this business for a long time and playing with the best of the best, what I can do is something that, uh, that um, they can't, do like i'm real i'm just like i'm i'm really good at leading a stage and leading a band and presenting music and hearing a uh a, as an ensemble ear towards things i mean i i have something to offer so in in that sense i that's probably what he's referring to but no i'm definitely like compared to nick i i can't shine his shoes uh on the guitar now, you know, when you, li when you look at these, um, these like uh, Rolling Stone lists of 100 best guitarists, you know, of all time, I mean, how much of that is legitimate and how much of it is the 100 best guitarists that are also famous of all time? Because they're all famous people. I mean, are there guitarists that are just as good? You say, Nick, you can't shine his shoes. How good is Nick compared to people on that Rolling Stone list? How good are, uh, you know, uh, any number of people you've never heard of compared to Clapton or compared to... Um, I mean, Springsteen was on that list, for example. You know, is he better than Nick Casarini, technically? Or Casarini. Well, I mean, you know, it's, these are impossible things. So, like, you know, like, what's, what's the, what's the uh, Rachmaninoff uh, concerto that uh, uh, Jeffrey Rush in that movie? Uh, Rock, something or other. Rock 2 or whatever it was. Um, like, there's, you know, the, if you want to measure somebody, like, can they play one of the most challenging things ever written uh, for an instrument and can they play it, you know, on a world-class level, that's one way of measuring how good somebody is in an instrument. That's not the way people are measuring Eric Clapton or Jimi Hendrix or something like that, or, or, or even Paul McCartney on the bass. At that point, they're, they're measuring them in terms of um, how they, how they are, affecting their audience and how they're innovating and how clever they are or, or about what they, the notes they've chosen to play, which could also be quite simple. So like Jaco Pastorius, who was a virtuoso bass player was, would play Blackbird, the Paul McCartney song over and over and over and over again. Now Blackbird is not challenging at all to play. My son Manny's playing it at seven, but to think of it. So, um, you don't really know what they mean by, like when people say Keith Richards is one of the greatest guitar players of all time, you, you know, it's not clear what they mean by that, but he's definitely original and innovative and whatever he's doing, you know, the entire planet Earth is responding to it. So 
is that a guitar talent or is that some other talent? You know, I don't know. So the, the writing is getting like their ability to write music is getting mixed together with, you know, yeah, you don't, you don't know if they're referring to the writing or the playing. Yeah. And, and it's also, yeah, it's that. And it's also just something about the charisma with which he can play something like, you know, you ever notice like you, you hear some like imitation cover band, uh, they play like the Rolling Stones exactly note for note as the Rolling Stones play it. And sometimes these, these musicians are more accomplished on their, than the actual Rolling Stones are, but it's just not the same. You know, there's just something about the personality uh, artistry that is very, very difficult to, to, to figure out. You know, you wonder if a computer could ever figure that out. I don't know. Anyway. I actually have a really sweet video of Manny playing Blackbird. Oh yeah, yeah. He's getting better and better at it, but he he rushes. His his timing is not good. His sister is is better with that. Um, do well, did you want to play the, the the part? Do you want to pull up Sandy's bio? Well, I have it on my phone. Okay. Is she, she here? Yeah, she's there. What do you think? Alexa Uzan. Yeah. Well, that's not bad. It's a different name. Um. Well, well, I don't remember where you were, but um. All right. Well, we have we have a. Guest. Oh, it was when when um it was when I was babysitting, and you made me promise that I would make him do his um lesson yeah, practice yeah practice and so i did and ari was sitting there like cheering him on it was really cute yeah hopefully they'll get married someday or well, if we're lucky <laughs> you guys uh you know you're planning this already like in the old country we have a guest uh dr sandra gelbard dr sandra gelbard wait 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 let's let her in okay open the door how come I don't, well, you're like, oh, wow, participant Alexa, sharing on. screen is on. That's awesome, Periel. You're really uh, taking You, you really want public credit for something that you, to, for doing something you forget. Well, if I get yelled at for not doing it, like, I'm happy to take, like, a little bit of praise for doing it. It's like my wife, she's like, oh, you, you, haven't, you haven't cheated. Congratulations. <laughs> well. You're awesome. It's a fair point. Sandy Gilbert, we're waiting on her. It says connecting to audio. What, what do we, what do we, uh, she, she is an old friend of yours, Periel? She's an old friend of mine, but she's, um. Well, how does she know you? My uncle and aunt yes, are, hi, Dr. Gelbard. Well, you know, what we know her. <laughs> um, okay. We, well, you know me, I do intros here on this show. So okay. So let Go me right give you a introduction. In addition to being a good friend of Periel Ashenbrand's, Dr. Sambra, Sandra, as if that's not enough, Dr. Sandra Gelbart is the founder of Park Avenue Medical Concierge, which is the first concierge med medical practice in New York City, focusing on prevention and customized vitamin supplementation. Strong focus on lowering your overall information. Lowering you don't your need overall to, you don't need to Oh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, this is the, the point is, she's big stuff. This. What is Multiple. It? Multiple art articles published on COVID throughout the pandemic. You guys are supposed to And we've to had esteemed experts on the pandemic uh, on, uh, and you are one of, one of uh, fitting right into that, um, that uh, uh, elite group. We had Alex Berenson, for example, we had, we had on. Um, I'm being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> Sandy, this is Dan and Hi, Dan. Noam Dwarman. Hi. Hi. Thank you for coming on. By the way, uh, could I just have a quick, I have a medical question. I know this is probably not you. Go ahead. But I went for a consultation for a colonoscopy. <laughs> and the doc, this was three weeks ago. The doctor said, my office will call you.
to schedule the procedure. And they never called. Three weeks ago, I, I sent him two messages on my chart. You know, my chart, that's the NYU thing. Yes. Saying, hey, I haven't gotten heard from you. Hello. Hello. And then again, excuse me. Anybody home? Two messages. Not a word. I mean, on a scale of zero to no big deal to 10, outrageous, where would you put that? <laughs> Very common. Very common. And today, everyone is playing catch up right now with these types of tests, these screening tests, because how about, how about, out of it. How about a message saying, look? No, I agree with you. It's inexcusable. You know, we're, we're a bit backed up, if you'll pardon the expression, in the colonoscopy game, if you will. You know, but we'll get to you. But a, a, a complete, it's this town, you can't get a hold of your doctor in this town. You have to be your own advocate. You have to keep calling and just really be a nudge until you get a response. But I don't know if I want this guy up my ass. What's his name? What's the doctor's name? Because he, he's very far from up your ass. I, have, I, have, I, had, I had a really good colonoscopy experience at NYU. I think Dr. Glassman, I think, was his name. I, I know. I trained at NYU. I was chief resident, and um, I was one of the program directors. So NYU is my training ground. So I know a lot of them, and he's excellent. Yeah, he was really good. I felt terrific the next day. And They're uh, only good. And, and Dr. Lamb is my doctor, and he's and I love him too. I know Dr. Lamb. But no, you say you had a good experience. How do you know you were under anesthesia? That's my, that was my joke. I, I, I don't know. But, but I, know, I will tell you this. You know how you know you have a good experience? Because you wake up and you say, oh, when are we going to start? And they say to you, oh, it's already finished. No, no, That's no. how you know I had a good experience. He was, he was very thorough. They don't he was very thorough. A stage three tumor. And then you go home. And you're dead because they, they didn't catch it. That's a good experience. Listen, you, you want to really, I know we're going to talk to the doctor. Second, but That's really, why you do it every five years and not every 10. Because it takes 10 to get a stage three. And this way there's some redundancy. And there's a backup because colonoscopies are only as good as the prep you do. And there's a lot of nooks and crannies, crevices. And it's a tall order to look at every single crevice in one colonoscopy. So the insurance guidelines lowered it to every 10 years. None of my patients do it every 10 years. It's every five. And if you find a big enough polyp, even one, I do every three. And by the way, I also, I trained it. I spent a year at Memorial Sloan Kettering on the GI service where everyone was 30 or younger with stage four cancer. I literally had to leave the room because it was way too emotional. And before I got pregnant with my two children, the first one, I had no GI issues. I was 32, so I was far from needing it, but guess what I did? I got a colonoscopy because of my experience. So I am like a big believer in colonoscopies. Do you know out of the five causes of cancer, it's the only preventable one? I'll tell you, this podcast not only is in it- I know, we're talking about COVID, now we're gonna do colonoscopies. Your life. But yeah, well, okay. She's like a COVID expert. Okay, I know, but I have a particular <laughs> issue that I want to discuss. Like now we'll get to COVID. You can well, I was gonna say something, something about colonoscopies, if you guys really wanna- uh, uh, medical order. If you really wanna be worried, Dan, if you, if you Google it, there's a lot of, col I don't know if this is because of uh, bad um, incompetent colonoscopies or just uh, weird things that happen in nature, but there's a significant number of people who get serious 
uh, uh, colon cancer within a year after getting it all clear from a colonoscopy. There is that too. So you're, you're never really out of the woods, Dan. You should go every six months. Well, it's also very user dependent. So I have a lot of patients that live outside of Manhattan and having been born and bred here, I'm a little partial and I always insist they go to my people because I just feel it's such an important test. Yeah. So that's why you're supposed to go every five years because it takes 10 years to develop stage three cancer. Did you guys, did you guys lose your mic? It got really quiet. Your mic got really quiet. We're, we're, no, we're okay. Right well, if there's no more colonoscopy questions, we can move on to COVID, but. Oh, I could talk about colonoscopies all night. I don't mind. <laughs> colonoscopies, COVID, whatever you want. I'll tell the truth. When, do you Just guys let me answer your question, Perry. So if I got a polyp today, it would take 10 years for that to become a cancer. So that's why doing colonoscopy every five years, you have that redundance that you catch it. If you go every 10 years, you sure as well better be very sure you get everything in one shot. And I, I, don't I have a question that. for you. Like you used to watch MASH, the show MASH, you know? On a MASH, they're doing surgery, but they're always making jokes, right? Like, what do you, are they making jokes during our colonoscopy, like about my skinny ass or like? No, but like everybody has to be a human being, right? And that's what you want in your doctor. I mean, you don't want someone who's like a robot. Right. Um, I don't think anyone's disrespectful to the patient. I think that, I think good doctors really understand the essence and the importance of what they're doing. And it's really a life calling or you wouldn't do it. How often do surgeons forget instruments inside their patients? Not very often. I trained, you know, at NYU at Bellevue. We would see x-rays of everything, and it was like um, a slideshow of, like, the craziest stuff. But I don't. Uh, that's very far and few between. That's not, like, I mean, a common. If, we, if we're going to stay on the, 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 the erectile theme, <laughs> then I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss all the things people shove up there. Well, I will tell you, um, I think I'm allowed to talk about this. At Bellevue, uh, my boyfriend, when I was at Bellevue, which is NYU's teaching hospital, was a surgeon, and he called me over because they had an admission for rectal pain, and they did an x-ray, and there was an ice cream scooper, and it was the, on the x-ray, and you could see that. I don't think I've ever, I've been on a lot of shows, I don't think I've ever told that story. So. That's love. But it was really quite something, this x-ray. And you were wondering, like, what was this guy thinking? And now they were worried about a perforation. Like, how do you get that out? You can't, like, push it out as you, as you might a bowel movement? You can't. Well, I mean, you could also perforate. It's metal. It's not as malleable as, like, a bowel movement. So, you know, you run the risk of perforating your colon. I caused a scene at a Carvel today, by the way. I, I should have told that story earlier, but I did. I got in a fight with the new owner of the Carvel in Arsley. Oh, my God. Pearl, your mic's not loud enough. So can I want to hear the story? I don't, I don't want to take from Dr. Gelbar's time. but Well, I think that you, we do yeah. want to hear the story, but also the reason okay. why I thought it would be interesting to have her is because we've been talking nonstop about COVID in school. Oh, COVID schmovid. And she's on the board of like a bunch of schools for COVID. I mean, talk about, you know, whatever the hell you want. I know, COVID. So, so should we open the schools or not? Yes, we should. There's very little transmission in schools. We've proven that. Um, and then I'm sure you all know they just approved 12 to 15-year-olds to get Pfizer. And that is 5% of the population, another 17 million people. 
which, you know, it, as long as people go and allow their 12 to 15 year olds to get it, will add a real layer of protection in the schools. Um, and that's a whole debate right now is, how are they gonna work parental consent? Some states are saying they're gonna let the kids come in if they want it, even without the parents. Other states are saying that they're gonna require the parent to be there with them. Um, there's some sort of you know legal things that have to be worked out. But um, I have patients who are already scheduling their kids here in New York. They have now, their appointments. Now, now here's the question, and we can't get a straight answer, right? So we're told, I think we're told that the that COVID for children below whatever, 12 or whatever it is, is even less risky than the flu. Is that correct? No. Okay, how, how does it compare to the flu? The rates of hospitalization or illness are higher with COVID, even though they're much less than you know, what you have in the older populations. How, how much? Um, do you know? How much less? How much higher? Uh, like how, if, I believe it's about a third. A third higher? Yeah. So you're, so you're, so they're, so they're basically, you're talking about a tiny number of, the flu is, is yeah, you're talking about. The real problem here is not, is also, you know, I got called by a patient who said to me, I want you to refer me to an expert in COVID's long-term effects. And I started laughing. I said, there is no, what do you mean? Like, nobody even knew about this a year and a half ago. There was no one that was trained in this. We're all in this learning in real time. So that's the point. These kids or whoever get COVID, the fear is what are the long-term effects? And so when people talk about being nervous about the vaccine, um, I think, getting COVID and dealing with that long-term, we've heard bits and pieces of what that can involve, whether it's, you know, foggy brain or shortness of breath or cardiomegaly, which is an enlargement of the heart, um, even heart failure, whatever it might be, they exist. And when kids, even though they're not showing the symptoms, you don't know how they're going to prevent, present 20, 30, 40 years from now. So, you know, the most common question I get is, I have a 12-year-old daughter, and are you going to give her the vaccine? How does this affect fertility? And the big thing is that this is an mRNA vaccine, as you know, and what we see is that it leaves the body very quickly. It doesn't hang around. It gets degraded. The body knows how to get rid of the mRNA. And so, and this is a technology we never used in a vaccine before, but it's actually been studied for decades and decades and decades. We didn't just develop this with COVID. And so I personally, I had Pfizer, not because I chose Pfizer. In my office, the, the state shipped me Moderna, so I give out Moderna. But, um, uh, you know, I think that it is a good choice to get vaccinated. I really don't have any qualms. Um, I think that we have a study of over 100 million people, and certainly Israel has been setting the hugest example for the world by you know their diligent keeping track of all the numbers and side effects. Um, and we really don't have any you know data like that with other vaccinations. So you know so early on. So I feel very comfortable, and I think not getting the vaccine, you run the risk of other problems that we may not even know about. Right. So I, I don't want to contradict because I don't know what's right, but, I, but I'm also looking up here that, uh, that there's other data which says that um, PolitiFact, which rated as, as mostly true, a claim that it was less, uh, less, less fewer hospitalizations from COVID than from uh, 
flu, but I don't know what the age was. It says 480, whereas uh, as of mid-August, uh, I don't want to, hospitalization rate for, for the flu, it says was 39 per 100,000. And for COVID, it said was 19, six per 100,000. But yeah, I think that these things are fluid. But whatever it is, I mean, when you're, ta you're talking about- The month of April, 9% of hospitalizations were kids under 17. Okay. I don't know. For just April. Yeah, I don't know how to compare that to the, the flu. But anyway, they're, 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 but you're right. It's the long-term effects that nobody knows about. So then if, if, but you must not be that worried about the long-term effects if you think they should open the school, correct? Well, I think that they've been taking a lot of precautions. And I think that the data of in-school transmission with the masks and the socially distancing, keeping windows open when you can, that has all worked. Some of my schools that I work with have, you know, increased, they invested a lot of money, they changed the filtration systems that I, you know, think has really helped. Um, not all schools can do that, unfortunately. Um, and I think that, you know, if you get into the detriment of keeping kids home, psychologically for those children and how they suffer emotionally and socially and their education. I think that when you look at the transmission rate of what's occurred this past year for those who have been in school versus that, it's really uh, important to get them back into school. Yeah. I mean, my kids are not in school, but I wish they were. My, my wife is more cautious than I am. Um, what about the summer camp rules? Is these ridiculous summer camp rules where the kids have to be outdoors with masks and and six feet apart from each other? Have you seen all that? The CD yeah. So um, the camps are in talk still. Um, I work with some camps, and uh, I think that this is what's interesting. Outdoor transmission is 19-fold less than indoor. Not 19%, but 19-fold. So this is a virus that does not transmit very well outdoor. And that's something we should definitely be taking care of, taking advantage of this summer. So I think, you know, the six feet apart will soon go down, potentially to three feet. I mean, in schools, they've made that rule. And this is outdoors, so it should definitely be acceptable there. Um, the masks are a problem. I mean, and, you know, kids don't like them. They get headaches. They can't breathe. It affects social recognition. So, you know, whether or not that needs to be done outdoors, I personally, you know, am not. advantage at summer camp of a mask is that, you know, when you go to the bathrooms at summer camp in those cabins were really nasty smelling. So, you know, right. it help with that. But other right. than that. So let me let me ask you let me ask the question in a different way because this is I think um, a question which kind of exposes the mass like PTSD that we're all suffering from. Let's say that the um, the current risk profile of vaccinated adults and children, whatever that is, like every, everybody's vaccinated, and we know that uh, their vaccines are maybe even a hundred percent or close to hundred percent at, at uh, preventing serious illness and death. It is hundred percent. Yeah, and um, and 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 whatever that risk is to children, which is which is nineteen fold less outdoors for for any any transmission, and even for kids, very few of them get sick and die. So if, if that had been the on day one, if that had been the risk of this new virus, COVID nineteen, my feeling is that we would have done absolutely nothing as a society. To deal with it, we just said, "Oh, there's a new virus out there. It's extremely low risk. 
it's kind of like the flu, um, maybe even less than the flu for adults and uh, comparable to the flu for children. And we're not going to do anything. I, I, I think what, what could we do and why would we do anything for a virus which had such an infinitesimal risk? But now that we're on the other end of it, having lived through all this stress, we just can't, we just can't react to it as we would if this had been the initial risk. We're still carrying all this psychological baggage, which is causing us just not to let go of it. Who, who would shut down a society for a risk on the order of what vaccinated people are facing from COVID? They wouldn't. What would we, what would we do? Before the vaccine, it killed like hundreds of thousands of people. Right, but I'm saying that now, now that we know, without, I'm just leaving out of this equation adults who are not getting vaccinated because in a certain sense, I'm like, that's on them. But, but leaving that aside, I'm just saying that adults who are vaccinated have almost no risk. Right. Children who are not vaccinated have almost no risk. If that had been the initial, the, initial thing, the initial thing we were confronted with, what would we have done? I mean, you're, I, saying, I, I now that you're saying now that we're here, we can't accept it because we've been scarred and, and you yeah. know, trained to wear masks and we're going to just hold on to them for dear life regardless. We're no longer reacting rationally as we would have if this had been the initial thing. We're, we're still have in our brains all that we've been through, which is that's why I call it PTSD. Well, I think that, you know, this virus, um, when, I, when I did spend time in the hospital taking care of COVID patients, what me and my colleagues talked about there was no predictability of who would end up in what situation. And what I mean by that is you could have a 40-year-old, 50-year-old healthy person come in a little short of breath and then do an x-ray, everything was okay, oxygenation was good, you send them home, 12 hours later, they are completely hypoxic, show up, infiltrates everywhere, and they need to be ventilated. And then who would end up with the clotting problem, right? Which hit every organ in the body. So you had people on, di I, had, I had personally patients who went on dialysis from this, who had strokes and never recovered. And was that one very unusual, one out of a hundred, one out of two? Yes, but you have that happen once and it really hits you that this is really like Russian roulette with this virus. So thank God we have that vaccine because- right. You know, you just don't know. But I think that there is something to be said, even among the healthcare workers, like after seeing that, it, it was very frightening. It was very, you felt like you were in a sci-fi movie and you had nowhere to turn to help. I have a very close neurology friend, him and his partner, they were walking around the hospital examining every COVID patient on the unit, writing down their findings, and now we're going to publish neurological uh, complications to COVID. And they're writing this as they're roaming around, but no one else in the world knows this information. So, right, but you, you know, know. But you know, so I think you're agreeing with me. Actually. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, okay, good, good. Because Periel thinks you're disagreeing with me. She's agreeing with me, Periel. No, I agree with you. I think it's going to be very hard for people to totally take off their masks and be free. And what about, what, do you have a position about, like, you know, we obviously talk a lot about having shows and having shows now 
Um, you know, Nome has a bunch of clubs the, and everybody, it's 33% capacity. Everybody is, you know, he takes such insane precaution. There's plexiglass, the comics are behind plexiglass. And they're saying now that they can open up at, I don't know, May 19th at 100% capacity. Like, if everyone's vaccinated, that's what they say. They check vaccination. Is that, if they're vaccinated. Is that safe? Like, do you have a position or any insight into Okay, that? so here's my position. I think that if we, okay, not to bring up be doom and gloom, but I'm very, I, I'm really concerned about India right now. And I think that if this virus has told us anything, it's that we are one people. Like, I don't care if you're in India, I don't care if you're in China, what you have going on there affects me and I should be deeply invested in it. And so there are reports and it's not conclusive, but that the, the variant over there may not be covered by our vaccine. So, Let's just, and Brazil is also somewhat of a concern. Obviously, the British, the B117 is fully covered by our vaccine. That was an early on concern. And the South uh, African. What was that? And the South African seems to be covered by our vaccine. Yeah, time. right. So we're not, we're, right. So um, you go in, I have no qualms if we're talking about people who are vaccinated um, and have only you know, been exposed to the normal, what we're used to, COVID. But once we have reports, and we don't do a very good job at genetic sequencing in this country, like England does a much better job. They just um, allocated a lot of money, the government, that we can start doing that. And that will help us pick up if there are any variants here, you know, because if you don't do genetic sequencing and someone shows up in the hospital, you just assume it's the regular run-of-the-mill COVID you know, ver uh, not a mutation, not a variant, the regular COVID infection that we're used to. But you need genetic sequencing. Anyway, this is a long answer, but what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't preclude the possibility of those variants coming here, and you would not be covered potentially by the vaccine. But for the regular run-of-the-mill, and it's hard to use the word run-of-the-mill, with the COVID virus, you would be 100% safe. How quickly can we make a new vaccine for a variant that might not be, um, you know, how quickly? Well, Pfizer's working on that. And I do think in the next three to six months, we'll all be getting boosters. Um, I think, yeah, I think that um, if any of these really do prove to not be covered by the vaccine we already have, in the next three to six months, we'll all be called in. But can they crank out vaccines as needed for new variants? Are we, are we at, at that point where now we know what to do if a new variant comes we can crank out a vaccine fairly quickly for any variant that might yeah be. that's the beauty of the mrna it's much quicker than doing the adenovirus or the protein vectors it works a lot quicker where so. would we be without the vaccine we'd be basically no better would we would be would we be at all better off than we were a year ago or would we be no no we, we would probably be more frightened we'd probably be more um you know it's funny because in in april i wrote um an article that was published in the hill and i said what we needed to do to recover from the virus and we needed either herd immunity the vaccine or a cure and when i talked about the vaccine in this article i said that 
I had very low hope that we would ever have a vaccine in the next 12 to 18 months. I said, if history proves anything, uh, we definitely will not have one. And I would say that most, like pretty much every vaccine expert in the country agreed with that. Wow. And, this va- and by the way, the goal in developing a vaccine was to get an efficacy over 50%. That was the FDA's guideline. And where are we at? 94%. And we did it in like nine like, months. Uh, yeah, like under a year. It was unheard of. Why did you think that, like, why did everybody think that it was not going to happen? Because historically, a vaccine takes 10 to 20 years, and it takes over a billion dollars. I mean, this is unheard of. This is unprecedented, the fact we have a vaccine. Who is the hero? Who, if we're to pick one or two or three of the, of the people that uh, brought this about, who, who would we pick if, if there are... Well, I do want to say that one reason it sped up so quickly was that the government footed the bill, went to the companies. There were six companies. And basically, there's phase one, phase two, and phase three in development. So you come up with the vaccine, the technology, and then that's phase one. Phase two is when you really, really hone in on the dosage, the schedule. And the companies are very cautious at doing this because if they make a mistake, they lose hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Because phase three is when they start doing the trials and they they load up, you know, the data. So what the government said was, don't worry about phase, well, they didn't say don't worry about phase two, but they said, don't worry if you get the dosing wrong, we're going to pay for everything. You develop the vaccine and get it going, start testing it. And if it doesn't work, we will take your entire pile and we will you know, fund it and you won't lose a penny. That cut off at least 10 years. And by the way, every company did that, took the government up on that, except for Pfizer. Pfizer said, thank you, but no thank you, but we're going to pay for our own vaccine. And then they sell it in the long run, but they, but they sell it for $19 a shot, um, which is not astronomical. uh, You know, what they could have done considering they were the first and you know the only game out there for a while so that is what really sped it up no one can really argue that it's always about money right no one's going to like lay out all that money it's about money but they've been throwing money at you know numerous other diseases over the years that i don't know how much of a dent they've necessarily made i think we're throwing an unbelievable amount of money at covid um, even now, right? Like with yeah. keeping the country going. Do you think the solution for cancer, for Parkinson's, you know, you've had Michael J. Fox, who we had on this podcast, working assiduously with Parkinson's. Uh, do you think money is the solution there? If we throw enough money at, at cancer, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, et cetera, that we can get these kinds of results? Or that's a whole other kettle of fish? No, no, I, I can answer that. This was such an unusual situation. Um, one of my family members is a postdoc at Harvard, okay, in a cancer lab. Do you know they shut down every lab during, during COVID? And they said, the only way you are allowed to conduct research is if you come up with experiments that focus on COVID. All of Harvard was closed down. Unless, so my sister-in-law, who was who at Harvard, had to rewrite grants and proposals. So you basically took all the brightest minds in this country and you said, whatever you're working on, 
you're going to stop and we're going to pay attention to this and only this. Or guess what? You're not allowed to do any research. So I believe that if you do that with any disease, we will make real, real headway, whether it's cancer, Parkinson's, dementia, absolutely. And this, this was fascinating from that point of view. I mean, I was, I was really in this. I, was re, I, I felt like um, as, as tragic as COVID was, from a scientific point of view, this was something that was going on that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing you would ever see. And to see how much headway we made in a year, it was really mind-blowing. <laughs> is that a very long answer? <laughs> no, it's actually fascinating. It really is. Well, so then what, 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 what lesson does this teach us, if any, about these other diseases that I mentioned? Is there any? I mean, of course, we have finite resources, but... Um, well, do we? I mean, if you threw, like, billions of dollars... Is this, is this, a, is this a lesson for, for other diseases that, you know... I mean, I think it is a lesson. I think it's like a lesson in being collaborative and coming together, working together, and what you can get done. Whereas if you work separately, everyone in their own little world trying to get ahead, you move at a snail's pace, but you all come together and focus and sky's the limit. So hopefully that will, you know, affect future projects. No, Noam um, has taken, you know, Noam is, has, um, use this vaccine as a as a reason for pride in America. Is he right that America really was the um, driving force behind this fact these vaccines? Yes. Was, was that some some debatable point? Well, I just <laughs> the vaccine, the entire mRNA technology. The vaccines. Look at the vaccines: Moderna, Pfizer. I mean, those were the first two. Uh, one of them, a, a two, two, a married couple from Germany that uh, created the vaccine? The biotech the, that, that Pfizer partnered with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you gotta go into your settings to turn up that mic and, and anyway, go ahead, sorry. Stupid. Uh, um, well, I think it was a partnership. I think that the German com company brought a lot to, to the development for sure. And I don't think what Pfizer would have been able to do it without them. And I don't think they would have been able to do it without a Pfizer. No, no, Pfizer could have done it without them, just like Moderna did. And 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 I mean, the, was really all America. Yeah, and it's not just and it's not just the uh, the actual vaccine. It's the whole history of the what led to the, the the history of that technology, which, as you say, you know, it goes back I don't know ten fifteen years already, right? This is an American story, but and and with immigrants, with people of color, like uniquely American. Not um, it's, it's like an American success story. It shows everything that's great about America, and of course, we're too. Um, we're too messed up as a country right now to take any kind of patriotic pride in something on the order of the moon landing, but that's what it is. It's, it might even be more important than the moon landing. Like there might never be another pandemic. Like the next, it took nine months for this vaccine. And if another, if another thing hits 10 years from now, it might take nine weeks or sooner, right? Like, the, like they're going to start plugging this DNA into computers and instantly just spitting out vaccines. Right. Right. There'll be more pandemics. Well, he's saying that, the next pandemic will, will be- Will, will be, be shorter. Yeah, will I mean, be more prepared. That, and, and at the same time, they're also talking about curing malaria. They're talking about finding a vaccine which will take care of all flus. I mean, the sky's the limit, right? I mean, we just, we cracked a major technological medical hurdle here. And right, well, what we did was we did this massive global experiment. 
that we never would have been able to do, right? Every country is vaccinating as many people as they can. And we're trying to do, I mean, at one point we're doing like 3 million a day. Now we're falling short because people are, you know, we're hitting the people that are hesitant to get vaccinated. And that's another hurdle. But we've done this global, global experiment. And so you could never do that in a lab and you would never do that under normal circumstances with a disease that didn't get this much attention. So we have made great strides. What the hell is Biden and Kamala Harris? They're sitting in a room <laughs> full of vaccinated people. They're all vaccinated. There is zero risk in that room. Why? And they're trying to, and we have a major problem here with vaccination, vaccine hesitancy, a major problem. I know I'm dealing with employees. They still don't feel safe. They're still worried. They're vaccinated. I have, a, I have someone very close to me in my family. Won't take the vaccine. Won't go back to work. Why is not the president of the United States saying, we're all vaccinated here. We can take off our masks. You know, some sort of Churchillian optimistic. We'll never have zero risk, but we need to get this vaccine and put this behind us. And like, they're just, it's like if you look at Kamala Harris in her office with a mask on six feet apart away from her assistant who's also been vaccinated and also tested, all wearing masks, she's saying, what? why are they doing this? Do you have any idea why they're doing no, this? I know why. Because politically, there could be, a, you know, no one knows what to do. And when you're talking about politics, it's all like how things are, appear, right? You take off your mask, even if you're vaccinated, even though the science supports that you are 100% protected against severe illness and death, you might look like, I don't believe in this virus, no mask, look at me, no mask. Even though, you know, what we need to develop is some sort of visible um, bracelet or sticker or something that people see, oh, there's no mask, but look, she's wearing the bracelet. She's but that's not, but that's, not, that's not leadership. We know the president and the vice president have been vaccinated. We know all the members of Congress have been vaccinated. Like, like, I'm not saying yes. I agree with it. I'm just saying that's what I think is behind it. I think that we're afraid to make that step. It's terrible because what's the biggest threat to our lives right now is people are afraid to take the vaccine. Yeah. That's the biggest that threat. Very true. So how do you that is very with true. That, that was my question is how, how do you deal with getting all of those people vaccinated? Like, what are we supposed to do? Well, so I deal with it like a bunch of schools and I get often asked, you know, for next year, can we make it mandatory that our teachers in order to come back have to get the vaccine? And you really can't because this is not an FDA approved vaccine. You know, we had, that was another way we really sped things up. It's EUA, which technically means it's investigational. So with your constitutional rights, you can't force someone to get an investigational vaccination. So it really has to be from someone who's an intelligent thinker and sees what's going on out there and understands the risks of getting COVID versus getting full protection, which is obviously far and above more. With us. I believe he used to work at Skadden Arps. Noam, uh, you say what about the legalities of uh, mandatory vaccination? I mean, it's EUA. It's not FDA approved. Why? Okay. I don't. I don't know. 
because to get FDA approval would take would have also been another five ten years. So they passed it under the heading of emergency use authorization, which means it's experimental. Well, you can't. I, I don't, with, legal principle uh, are you basing that on? That if it's FDA approved, it it's it can be made mandatory. But if it's not FDA approved, it can't be made mandatory. I mean, is there any? Yes, that's just a fact. It's just a fact. I mean, I do, you know, they want to do that when something's, you can make something enforceable, like in school, which is what I deal with, for an FDA, if something's FDA approved, there's a lot of more layers of checks that have been passed. Um, EUA is much, much, much quicker for an emergency to get something passed, but it gets passed under the heading, this is experimental. Well, certainly the, pri I don't know, you know. I'm yeah, you're closer to the, you guys. The At a minimum, private businesses can say, look, you're not coming in here if you're not vaccinated. So, so Noam can, you know, do that at the Comedy Cellar. Uh, yeah, well, I think, I, I mean, I believe that, I mean, they, it'll get FDA approved, right? So I, I uh, I believe that the government has a right to mandate that everybody has to take a vaccine. The constitution is not a suicide pact, but I, I would say that it, it's, you know, before they do that, they ought to really do a better job in getting people to take it voluntarily. And it just seems to me they're doing a lot of things exactly the opposite of what you ought to be doing. If you want to encourage people to take the vaccine, they're not doing a good job of making it clear that people can go back to normal life. They're, they're almost shaming people not to go back to normal life. Like, what's, like, how dare you take off your mask and think that you're all safe and shit? Like, and people, so like, like I said, the people who are close to me who don't want to take the vaccine, it's really hard for me to sell them on taking the vaccines. Like, well, you're still going to wear a mask and, you know, the variants could come. Like, all this talk about variants. That really, you know, this is the thing. A lot of people, we we as people who kind of under think like to think that we understand um how to analyze data in a certain way and how to look at statistics we don't realize that for an overwhelming number of people and it's not because they're stupid it's because they've got other things that they concentrate on they don't get this stuff and they hear people talking about well it may not keep you safe against the variants and they don't realize that that's this extremely unlikely situation that a variant might come over here and if and when we can react to it. They just think, well, the vaccine is not going to get me that much anyway. I'm really not that safe. And everybody's still wearing masks. And if they're all still wearing masks. Like I have common sense. If, if I see the president and everybody in Congress all vaccinated, still wearing masks, the vaccine is not that much of a game changer. And it did come out in nine months and they read their disinformation on Facebook and Twitter and, and they don't take the mask, you know? And I mean, they don't take the vaccine. And I really think the president and everybody and the vice president, they should get up there and they should make some real Churchill-like optimistic speeches encouraging the country to do this already. And I think Dan's right. I think businesses should be encouraged to go vaccine only. So one thing I will tell you, um, I've always felt I did not need to wear a mask outside. 
just because of the lack of transmission and I felt it was, you know, not needed. But then they came, the Department of Health said, if you're outside and you're vaccinated, take off your mask if you're not in a big crowd. So when I used to not wear my mask occasionally, walking outside alone with no one right next to me, I, I would see when people would pass me, I would get like a look. And now I see many people walking without masks. And so I think that's the step in the right direction. Yeah. I would just, to put it very like, zoom out, the average person I meet does not seem to really understand how significant this vaccine is in changing their safety profile. They just don't seem to get it. Like you tell people, well, it's basically you're 100% safe of, you might even still catch something, maybe, and, and that might only be because you're immunocompressed, uh, a compromise or something, but you may get something, but you know, you're not going to die and you're not going to get very sick anymore. And right. People don't get that. But I, I don't know that. They don't get it. I think a lot of people, I don't know what percentage, are what I put in the, in the, in the conspiracy theory category. And you can explain these things to them until you're blue in the face and they think that it's all a big conspiracy, uh, that, the, that the government wants to control us and that Bill Gates is injecting us with, you know, a, a, a whatever, a tracking yes. system. I mean, I don't know what percentage of the anti-vaxxers are in that category, but you're not gonna reach those people with, what you, with the kinds of logical explanations that you're suggesting. If they're really married to it, but if you know I, I, these people get pushed around, I see really smart people whose belief system gets pushed around like a feather when like, based on partisanship and tribalism. Like the president comes out and says the opposite of what they believed all along, and all of a sudden they believe the opposite. So some of these people are, are you know, they repeat this stuff. The question is, do they really deeply believe this stuff? And maybe if you you had to have a vaccine to go to the movies or a restaurant, they'd be like, all right, I'll get the vaccine. Like you know. Totally. I think that, I think that too. I mean, I think you just, people need to get the fucking vaccine. Like there are a million other vaccines that you can't send your kids to school without getting. So I don't know. I think that one thing that will really help is as society opens up and they come out with the vaccine passports and you have to show them or you wear something on your arm or something, People are going to feel different and it's going to feel very obvious that they're being shut out because they don't have the vaccine, whether it's either, you know, traveling for vacation, going to a comedy club, going to a movie, whatever it might be. But I think once that system is really perfected, then you might move people over the bar more easily. And also there is a group, there are a group of people who now that the vaccine has been out, you know, almost seven months, they're kind of keeping their eyes open and they're seeing what's going on and getting a lay of the land. And they're like, okay, well, all these people have gotten it and everybody's okay. So now I'm okay getting it. And I, I'll tell you, I have someone who works for me who's in that camp and she did not want to get vaccinated. And, you know, I, I work in a medical office. Like, how can you not get vaccinated? And now she's vaccinated. But it took her four or five months and you know, looking at the numbers and now she's comfortable. So there will be a, a group of those people as well. I'm glad that the vaccine can be fun. I, I've spoken to several people that enjoyed the fatigue. It was kind of like a cheap high. And uh, I, 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 rather, I rather found it enjoyable on some bizarre level. Well, all right. Also this, uh, and, and, I, and I can't say, people have criticized the government for their response to the J&J &J thing and halting it. I, I'm not ready to say 
they shouldn't have halted it because maybe they had to know what they were up against before they went through with it. But it really was unfortunate. However you want to look at it, it really, it really did screw things up. What was really the misstep, I didn't believe in holding it. Every clotting event that happened was in women. So at the very least, they should have continued as planned with the men. Because obviously, there was something, a hormonally linked issue. And the real screw up was when the CDC met the following week to make a decision. And they basically said, we're not making a decision. We're going to carry on. And at that point, we knew it was 15 cases out of 7 million, which is less events than you get in clotting from actually COVID. We knew it was only women under 50 years old. So at the very least, they should have said, okay, we're not ready to make a decision, but we have some clarity that it's only the women under 50. So women over 50 and all men go right ahead. And that was really like punting it like that costs, it, it costs a lot of lives. That's too bad. Well, they're, they're, they're so cautious and I can understand why they're cautious. Like they, you saw that thing in the Times the day before yesterday or yesterday where they were saying is less than 10% transmission outside, but the actual number was, it's true, less than 10% was 0.1%, which is like, you know, a thousand times less. Right. Yeah, so. No, I'm uh, just, uh, just uh, FYI, we're uh, at an hour 15. I don't know if you want to. Uh, What's that? I said we're in an hour 15. I don't know yeah, if you want to wrap this up. You want to hear, so hear what happened to me at Carvel? Uh, yeah, but I, I don't want to hold Sandy hostage if she has to leave. No, I would love to hear what happened at Carvel. I go, I go to Carvel, like I have uh, many, many times since I grew up in this town, and I, my kids get the yellow small cup. It's a, it's a kid's cup. It's not the extra small. It's a small cup. And it fits one, basically one scoop of ice cream. But for years, I would say, I want a kid's cup, half this and half that. And they would give you, and they'd mix two flavors together. New owner says, nope, you can't mix two flavors in a cup. I'm like, well, I'm buying two, two cups, um, one black raspberry sherbet and, and one mint something. And I just want half and half in each cup. I said, I'm not trying to get any free ice cream. It's exactly the same amount of ice cream. And I've always done it. I've done it for years. And she says, nope, you got, she wants me to buy the more expensive. And I said, well, can you tell me why? It's, it's the same amount of ice cream. And she says, and of course, this stuff bothers me because I'm a business owner. So I'm, like, I'm offended by the, I'm offended by it. And so she says, well, that's our rule. I said, and of course, I should have just let it go with that, but I'm like, I can't. I'm like, yeah, I understand it's a rule, but usually there's a reason for a rule, especially when it means saying no to a customer. And by the way, I had a $45 bill for ice cream. I bought, I bought ice cream for like six kids. So it wasn't even like, not that that should matter. I think even if it was the single cup, issue, but, but it was, it was a substantial customer. So normally like when somebody buys a lot of something, you might even make an exception to a rule because they're a big purchaser, right? So I, I don't want to just put that, I put that out there. She would not give, that's our rule, sir. I'm like, I'm buying the same amount of ice cream. My kids are going to be heartbroken. They don't want just black raspberry. They sent me here to get black raspberry and mint chocolate chip. And I could just get one cup of each and then I could spoon it out myself and, and switch it, but I'm just asking you to do it for me. Nope, wouldn't do it. And I made a little bit, a little bit, not like my <laughs> wife would have done, where it would have been picked up by the, in the local paper, but I made a little bit of a scene in Carvel because I could not believe 
that they would not give my kids the ice cream that they wanted. Anyway. I, I have a philosophy about mixing ice creams in a cup. I don't do it. Um, Why? Don't, you can't mute me because I'm talking. Um, I feel flavors are meant to be enjoyed individually. Once I start mixing them together, in, in, and they get mixed together in my mouth, and uh, no, it doesn't work for me. I need to focus on that one flavor, and then I can have a palate cleanser, I suppose, and have another flavor. But no, I don't mix flavors in cups. Now, this is, this is so foreign to me. Like in the olive tree, I would used to get mad, or in a pussy cat, I would get mad if a customer asked for a type of scotch, and the waitress would tell them, no, we don't have that scotch. I'd be like, what do you mean we don't have it? Send somebody to the liquor store, even though you're not supposed to get liquor from the liquor store, you're going to bar. But I say, send them to the liquor stores right around the corner. We'll get it for them. Like, I don't ever say no to a customer. Why would you say no to a customer? Like, what's in it for you yeah. as a business owner to tell a customer no? Like, don't you understand that's exactly the opposite of what you're in business to do? You don't ever want to tell a customer no. Ever, 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 ever. Unless you can satisfy the customer. And by the way, this is the same thing in life, actually. It's not good to tell people no. This is in The Godfather. In the book, The Godfather, The Godfather tries to tell Sonny this. You, you don't tell no. You try never to say no. And if you have to say no, you have to really explain it so that they accept no comfortably. Like, oh, I get it. I understand why you're saying no. What about when the producer said, no, I don't want to use Johnny Fontaine? I don't recall it. <laughs> Johnny Fontaine never gets that movie. Uh, that was, I didn't like that part of the movie. I was hoping that, you know, but I don't want to get too much into The Godfather. Anyway, I don't know that uh, Sandy uh, is glad that she stuck around for the Cardell story or not. <laughs> I think she seemed interested. No, I really believe in that philosophy. So I'm just keeping quiet because Perry knows me and that would annoy me to no end and I would make a stink over that. Yeah, no, it's say Yes. And no, it really would. That would really annoy me. And, and what, you, what you can do, the last ditch of a good business person is you say to the customer, look, we're not going to do that anymore for blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do it for you today because you came in here expecting that. That's the way you've always been treated. But just so right. you know, after today, in the future, we've changed the policy. So, all right, even that, that's, but that doesn't even make sense in this context because it's the same no. amount of ice cream. But that's the only way to do it. Why does she give a shit? What, what's the problem if she's to a, fucking do it? If she's a lower level employee. No, it was the owner. Was I was talking owner. to the owner. She was the owner. Okay. She's a new owner and she won't be for long. What is the fucking phone? <laughs> Who, whose phone is that that keeps going off? The olive. I mean, it's the seller. But why are we getting seller phone calls up here? Uh, that I Thank don't God. Thank uh, God the phone is ringing then. Anyway. Why is it ringing up here in the studio? Why? I mean, why, I mean, listen, I hate people who go on Yelp and write like these terrible reviews about businesses. But when yeah. you tell me a story like that, I understand those people. No, I would never go on Yelp and do that. I'll just do it on the radio. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you have to do it for like so many more people to hear. No, I'm not trying to bad mouth. I don't, I don't, listen, I don't, I, I, no, I don't, you should always resist the urge to go on Yelp and do it. It's just not a good thing. Don't day. go to the Carvel in a certain town in Westchester. Is what no, go to the Carvel. I, you, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go to the Carvel. You don't, you know, you know, people don't need to take, you don't, you don't need to drop the nuclear option on everything. I'm just saying it was just, it just really upset me. When you anyway, go on Yelp. We should have her on the show. Yes. <laughs> and, and the truth is you are right. Like it, it would be, if there was any excuse to go on Yelp, it would be this one because I was actually dealing with the owner. 
So yeah. it was like, but normally when you have a bad experience in a place, you're, 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 you go on Yelp and you complain about it. And it's really not fair to the owner because usually it's some horrible employee who's done something horrible. It's like, and of course, out of a thousand interactions, you're going to have something terrible, an employee can do something terrible. And then you just tar the, the, the place like that. It's really not. No, it's horrible to go on Yelp and do that. But I do think we should invite the owner on the show. Well, if, 10, Dan, minute, 10 minutes, 10 minutes at going most. 10 minutes at, at, at most. At most. <laughs> at most 10 minutes. I, I don't want to uh, ambush her with this. I, but I was really upset. If, if you tell her that this is why she's being invited on, you wouldn't be an ambush. Anyway, is there any other important business, uh, in particular comedy business? That I just really hope that Governor Cuomo doesn't yet again leave us like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. He told us clearly that we could open on May 19th if we and open regularly uh, if we had everybody vaccinated. I want to know when they're going to open up the steam room at my gym because I'm really, 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 I really need that steam room to get motivated. I've been going to the gym without the steam room, but I must say it's so much more difficult to get motivated to do so. So uh, I, I say to Equinox Fitness, Please let's get let's open those steam rooms. We'll even if even if too. there is a you have to have a maximum of three people in that steam room. Let's get the steam room open. <laughs> uh, Sandra Gelbard. Wait, Sandy. how are you gonna how are you gonna do what you just said with Cuomo when Sandy just said because it's an emergency vaccine you can't make people get vaccinated? No, she said the government can't make people oh, get but vaccinated. private businesses can. Yeah. Private I can't make anybody get vaccinated. I can, I can tell them you can't come into my establishment unless you're vaccinated. Right. You understand that, Perry, all right? Yes, I do. Thank you. But if the government is mandating that you enact that policy, I guess you could argue that the, you know, the government... No, they're not mandating that. They're giving us as an option. We can either do that or we can just continue this uh, six-foot social distancing with plexiglass and all that stuff. Uh, but I don't want to do that. I, I want to I want to get back to normal. I want to do my part to fight vaccine hesitancy. And um, I just I just want to put this behind me. I, I just want to say everybody has to be vaccinated. I made sure that all the staff was vaccinated. How long before comics stopped making COVID jokes? I I would imagine at least a year and probably longer. I, I don't know. It's a good question. You know, and plus some of them are really good jokes. I wouldn't want to lose them. So I, I mean, you know, I, I'll definitely keep it going as long as I can. Can you believe we lived through this, this history? Like everything was fine and amazing. I'm more surprised that I lived through being quarantined in a house with you for a year. Well, that was your choice. Anyway, Dr. Gelbard or Gelbard. Gelbard. So, th so uh, grateful for you to stop by. You know, oftentimes Periel will propose a guest idea and it won't work out so terrific. That's not true. Every guest I've ever proposed, they're always shocked at how smart and interesting my friends are. Like they really, oh. they can't really wrap their heads around. And what does that tell you? That I surround myself <laughs> with smart and interesting people. No, what does that tell you why we're shocked? Penny is gold. Oh, thanks, honey. I love um, you. Seven nights a week, the Comedy Cellar has shows. ComedyCellar.com. We are back. And as funny as ever, and the and surprise celebrity guests are stopping by, as they always have. We haven't lost a step. 
Uh, there is okay. a plexiglass, but that shouldn't be a, a factor in the enjoyment of the show. Um, okay. For, uh, podcast at ComedySally.com for questions, comments, suggestions, constructive criticism as well. And uh, I guess that's it. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you, doctor. Bye. Thanks for having me. Thank you.